0: You know, it's not just good because Edgar and the instrumentalists can play it, though they can play it. It's not just good because Keith and the choir can sing it, though they can sing it. Our Bible, God's Word, tells us He is awesome. Amen? It tells us who He is. He is not changed from yesterday. He's the same today. He's going to be the same tomorrow. Amen. Yes, brother. Thank you, brother. Amen. 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 He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. Take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 5 and 6 today, but we'll start at the end of chapter 4 here in just a a moment. In case you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series with a very complicated title called The Book of Acts. I need to explain that to you because I'm sure it's, it's kind of vague of what we're talking about. We're, we're studying the book of Acts. It's pretty straightforward and simple. And the testimony we just heard of our brother today is so of the Lord, it's so right, it's going to dovetail, it's going to weave into what God's Word is telling us to do in times of trouble. We're going to come back to that, so remember the testimony you've just heard. Remember the song we've just lifted up together. But as we started this series, we saw that Jesus told the disciples, the apostles, to wait, wait for the gift the Father has promised. And in the waiting time, there was some obedience for them to, to lean on the Father and, and seek His wisdom, and, and then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And last week, we saw how Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, changed everything in their life. And today, as we look, it started a little bit in the chapters that we talked about last week, and it for sure is in the chapters we're talking about today today. It's like the honeymoon is over for the early church. There is some opposition. There is some persecution. There is some hard things hitting them. And it happened in the chapters we looked at last week, but it definitely happens this week. And as I was studying and thinking about this thought of the the similarities between where we find the early church now in Acts chapter 5 and and how a honeymoon comes to an end, you know, I I get this culturally. we, We talk about... Oh, and the honeymoon ended in our marriage. I don't know if you have stories like that of what that looked like. I have a friend who talked about how the honeymoon ended. Uh, this, actually, this lady told us, a friend of Carrie and I, Paula, told us the honeymoon ended when she saw that her husband had a specific way that the toilet paper should go. And this was like a big enough significant issue that it was major arguments in the house over or under, or whichever way it should go, I, I'm not quite sure. There's probably a right way, and I'm sure you're going to tell me after. But, but the, you know, those things that when it's no longer new, it's no longer fresh, the, the sparkle, the glamour, the glitz is gone, and now real life comes. But as I was thinking about our own story for Carrie and I, I can't remember a time like that the way our culture talks about how the honeymoon was over. I mean, I, I can't think of a time when it was like, oh, now, now we're just married. Now, before you ooh and on and say, oh, isn't that great for them, let me explain. I mean, there's definitely times when things were, were no longer new or times where it was kind of tough or we thought, what is this? In fact, even on our honeymoon, on our very first night, our honeymoon night, I remember distinctly telling Carrie, Carrie, you can go out to eat, I'll take you out to eat anywhere you want to go. You can order anything you want to order. You want steak, we'll get steak. You want lobster, we'll get lobster. What would you like to have? If you want room service, we'll get room service. Get it all brought to us. What do you want to have? And she said, what about Pizza Hut? And at that moment, I fell in love with my wife all over again. I thought, this is great. Did I choose well? I tell you what. And so uh, as we ordered that pizza and it came to just, you know, seven or eight dollars and... And the pizza man came to the door, and for the very first time in our marriage, Carrie took my wallet, and she went, and she paid the, the pizza guy, and pulled out a tin, and gave him the money, and said, keep the change, and we ate the pizza, it was great. But then the next day, as we were going about our honeymoon, I opened up my wallet, and I said, Carrie, um, there was a $100 bill in here. Like, have you, have you seen this? Where did it go? And after some conversation, we discovered that no wonder the pizza guy was so thrilled when she gave him a $10 bill and said, keep the change. She'd given him 100 for a $7 pizza and said, keep the change. And I mean, he was thrilled. We're all excited after our honeymoon night. At that moment, I thought, oh my goodness, there's, there's a lot in store. If this is how it's going to be with like mine is hers and hers is mine, it can be tough. But I can't remember a time where it was like, oh, I didn't want to be married. But there was definitely things that... We're like no longer sparkly and new and there is even hard things I remember vividly 15 minutes before we had been scheduled to go home on our honeymoon. I get a call That we need to come home right now You see carrie's dad had been battling cancer and we didn't even think he was gonna be able to make it to the wedding, but yet God moved and touched him and he was able to come to the wedding and what the whole time we were on our honeymoon We just assumed everything was great and god gave us that gift but we got a call 15 minutes before we were supposed to come home. Come home now. It's, it's, it's apparent that Randy is getting ready to go to heaven. We made it there in time, and Carrie was able to sing her dad into heaven. But I tell you, those were hard days. It, it, as tough as it was, uh, uh, the honeymoon was definitely over, but it wasn't, oh, we don't want to be married. In fact, we learned what it was like to, through tough things, love each other even more. Even this week we talked about the things we've experienced in life and and the good things and the funny things and the not-so-good things and how awesome it was. And while the honeymoon is over, real life is better. And I share all that to say I think that's what is happening here in Acts chapter 5 and Acts 6, 1 through 7. To get the whole picture, I, I want you to see that there's these three attacks. There's three things that are coming at the church in these chapters that are definitely telling them the honeymoon is over. And the first of these attacks, we're going to spend a little bit more time this morning, so don't freak out. The the next two will go a little bit faster. But the first one I want us to catch, and to be able to understand it, we need to look at a couple verses in chapter 4 that set the scene for chapter 5. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. Look at it with me. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each As any had need. I mean, these were generous people. And not just because they were maybe raised generous, or that's just their personality type. No. Jesus had given them so much, it had changed their heart, and something was different. There was not this declaration that, hey, all the followers of Jesus now need to sell all their possessions and bring them to the apostles' feet. I don't find that anywhere in the text. But what we do find is people saw a need, they saw their resources, and out of the goodness in their heart that God had put there, they began to meet those needs. I thought of what I heard a while back, that everybody's heart's a little bit different. There are some people whose heart is like a rock. For God to get anything out of them, He has to use a hammer. And even then, He just gets these chips and sparks that fly off of them. Others, they have a heart like a sponge. And for God to get anything from them, He has to squeeze them to get something out of them. Yet others are like honeycomb. It just seems like sweetness just drips off of them all the time. And that's what this move of the Holy Spirit and and the gospel of Jesus Christ in their heart produced. It was changing hearts that were rock hard and and making them into like honeycomb that would just drip and ooze the goodness of God. We begin to see in Acts chapter 5 verse 1, it's that background, it's that stage that sets the scene for the crisis we find hit in the church in acts chapter 5 verse 1 but a man named ananias his name literally means god is merciful we'll come back to that that's a little interesting but a man named ananias with his wife sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge together they kept back for themselves some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Who's behind this? It's Satan who is behind this. It may interest you to know that this is the first recorded account that we see Satan coming back on the the scene. Before uh, the cross, Satan was after killing Jesus. This is the first time after the cross we find Satan. And now his scheme, his attack, is to divide a wedge in the church and to destroy Jesus the church that's his plan of attack and notice peter says and why has satan filled your heart this is in direct contrast to the filling of the holy spirit that we read about in the last few chapters we read on verse three and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds for the land verse four while it remained unsold did it not remain your own And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So what was it that they did that was really wrong? It wasn't, the sin was not that they held some money back. The sin wasn't that that they they didn't give 100% of everything. The sin was that they made it look like they had given 100%. Here, everybody around them in this move of God had heart like honeycomb, just dripping the sweetness of God. You have a need? I have money. I'll give it to you. You have a need? I'll give it to you. They just kind of step in line. That kind of looks good. (laughs) Well, here, I sold my house in $7. This is what I got. I'll give that to you. It it, it wasn't that they were forced to sell everything. It was that they wanted to to look like they had given everything like everyone else, but they weren't willing to allow the sacrifice to come along with what they wanted to look like like. The problem here is a heart issue with Ananias and Sapphira. Let's read on. Verse five, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and a great fear came upon all who heard it. I think that would be fearful. That'd make me fearful. Can you imagine what it'd be like if people who, who didn't tell the truth, people who made themselves out to be better than they were, boom, just died today in church. After a couple bodies, bodies, we kind of go, whoa, this is serious. And then look, look at the next verse, what it tells us here, verse 6. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Teens, I don't know if this was the interns or just the youth group or what, but this the, the dirty job was passed to them. Take the dead people, wrap them up, go bury them. Let's read on verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, so not too long, the wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, basically says, how much did you get? the property you said you brought everything in for? Was it this much? Yeah, yeah. It was that much. You, you would you would lie to not only man, but you would lie to God? Behold, look at the feet of the men coming in. They're the ones who just buried your husband, in essence, for doing this. And they're going to be the ones who bury you because you're going to die as well. Scripture says, boom, she falls over, breathes her last breath, and she's dead. And the last verse tells us in verse 11, and they were all Filled with fear. And they were all understanding the seriousness of sin. Aren't you encouraged today? God bless you. You are dismissed. (laughs) Pastor Brady, I know you're excited about Acts. You're telling us this is good. We're, We're in a long journey together. What is this about? Why should I care about this? You've told us that it's not only descriptive, telling us what happened, you're saying that there's aspects woven through the book of Acts that are also prescriptive that talk to us about how we can live now as well. What does this mean? Well, let's first look and see about this first attack. It's an internal deception. If you're taking notes, jot that down. It's an internal deception. Now, their lies didn't come out of nowhere. It was evidence of what was in their heart. It's kind of like when you see smoke... It's telling you there's fire. When you see jealousy, when you see greed, when you see you know people misrepresenting themselves, that's not the heart of the issue. That's the smoke leading back to the fire of what it is they're worshiping. They were more concerned about how they looked, more concerned about how they were perceived, more concerned about what they could hang on to and the evidence of it that came out was this lie. Now for honest, we look at this passage of scripture and it's easy to go, I mean I'm not all for lying. I don't really want us to, like, be hypocrites and act like we're better than we are, but death's a little bit harsh. Like, I mean, of all the offenses we could think of, I don't know that I would have said death penalty for this. So, like, being struck down, it's, it's easy to kind of get offended. In fact, you'll find those outside the faith who will read a passage of Scripture like this, and it will be great source of trouble for them. Scripture tells us those who are not in the light, the light is foolishness to them. The truth makes no sense to them. And this is one of those things, they just don't understand it. But, but make, make note of this, drop this down. To be offended by the swift judgment of God, the swift judgment of God, like it's described in this passage, it's to be ignorant of God's holiness. For us to be offended and go, what is this? Come on, God, this is unfair. Knocked him down Dead? This, to do this, to be offended by God's swift judgment, is really to be ignorant of His holiness. We sing about it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We talked about it last Sunday night. If we don't understand His holiness, it's our ignorance that would lead us to believe this is unjust. I think we shouldn't ask the question so much, why did they die? Maybe we should ask the question, why am I alive? Why isn't this... Why doesn't this happen to me? I'd like you to listen to what Doctor Sproul writes about this in his book, The Holiness of God. It's, it's good for us today. God is indeed long-suffering, patient, and slow to anger. In fact, He is so slow to anger that when His ang- excuse me slow to anger that when His anger does erupt, we are shocked and offended by it. We forget rather quickly that God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, to give us time to be redeemed. Instead of taking advantage of his patience by coming humbly to him and asking for forgiveness, we use this grace as an opportunity to become even more bold in our sin. We delude ourselves into thinking that either God doesn't care about it or that he's powerless to punish us. The supreme folly is that we think we will get away with our revolt. So what was their sin again? The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was a deliberate deception. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't something they misspoke. It was a deliberate deception for the purpose of self-exaltation. They deliberately painted a picture that wasn't true to make themselves appear better than what they were. It wasn't that they kept some of the money. It was that they, they lied about what it was that they were doing. Well, God doesn't do this to every person who lies. He doesn't do this to every person who does this sin? Apparently, we don't see that happen all the time. It is important for us to know that there is a death of sorts that takes place spiritually. Every time we begin to misrepresent, we begin to lie about what's really going on in our heart. Friend, what is it that hits you in this category? Is it exaggeration? Is it pious pride? Is it name dropping where it has nothing to do with what's going on, but you just want people to know how important you are is it you referencing some obscure time that you really pressed into God's Word as if it's a daily pattern? Is it writing the ta- coattails of someone else's good deeds, saying, yeah, me too, me too, but really not seeing that in your own heart? Is it a false front, trying to tell everybody else, all is well in my soul, yet maybe there is great crisis? Friend, be real. When you are real, it's only to your benefit Support and accountability only come through genuine transparency and and fake walls that we build up. They're only sealing ourselves on our own tomb spiritually. As a result, we see what happens next. The church was reminded of their seriousness of sin. The honeymoon of the birth of the church was over. The real life was happening. But it's not this picture of, oh, now it's tough. It's more like real life is here. As I began to think about the marriage that Carrie and I have lived, the honeymoon was good, but real life is better. Now I know more of why I love her. Earlier on, I just loved her, but didn't know all the reasons why. And as they got closer to Jesus and they they paid the price for the name of Jesus Christ, the love grew even stronger. But yet, make no mistake, the honeymoon was over. Real life was here. I ask you this question this morning. Where are you tempted to try to impress others? Where are you tempted to try to make others think that you're more spiritual than you are? This was Satan's plan of attack then, and it's still a plan of attack today. He wants to try to get us to not be truthful about where we're at spiritually. A second thought for us is maybe this question. If I find myself there, if I find myself tending to exaggerate where I'm at spiritually, what do I do about it? Name it. Be specific. Call it out. I don't know why i said that that wasn't true you know i i don't know what that had to do with what we're talking about i'm sorry would you forgive me ask god to forgive you and ask your your brother or sister in christ to forgive you when you speak it why because you're missing the benefit of what god wants to do in you when you build up walls to protect yourself and say i'm gonna look like i'm better than i really am you're missing the benefit of the body of christ that's one of satan's biggest attacks a third application I think is key for someone today. I think maybe you're here for this point out of God's Word. Don't let the sin around you lead you to complacency or lead you to a critical spirit. Rather, let the seriousness of sin around you lead you closer to Jesus. So many times we... we as followers of Jesus, we see sin around us, and it's like it just discourages us so much. We, we talk about hypocrisy. Sometimes we can see sin in the church, and it's as if we get so critical it leads us away from Jesus. Don't go soft on sin. But while it was of, of a great tragedy for Ananias and Sapphira, it led them to the deeper things of God. And they pressed in and they said, whoa, this is serious. And they got closer to Jesus as recognizing it. Let's move on. There's a a second attack that happens. I won't spend as much time on this one, but it's this external persecution. It's from outside the church. They have attacks that were coming from within themselves. It was attacks now that are coming from outside of the camp. Look at Acts chapter 5, 17 through 42. I won't read it all. I want you to take some time this week and study it. There's some devotional questions to help you this week in the back of your outline. If that would be a blessing to you, use that. If that's not how you learn or think, then just read through it. But let me summarize. We find in Acts chapter 5 in this section here that the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders, the ones who had thrown Peter in prison and the apostles in prison earlier, arrest them and it says they are filled with jealousy. They were so envious, they were so jealous that here they are the official religious leaders and everybody's going crazy about what these guys are saying. It's unorthodox, they're unschooled, they're ordinary men, why are they listening to them? We've told them to stop talking about Jesus, and they won't shut up. And they couldn't figure out what to do, so they put them in jail, and they're going to talk about it the next day. And there's some supernatural things that take place, and they're confident they put them in jail, and here God miraculously provided provided a way for them to be out of jail, and the doors are still locked. But the thrust of what's happening is they come back, and they're teaching about Jesus again to everybody who's listening, and finally they say, didn't we tell you to stop it? And Peter says, who are we to obey, you or God? I've got to obey God. And he preaches the same sermon he did last week, again, you killed Jesus, you need Jesus, Turner burned. burn. Not really politically correct. I just right in their face, the people who are arresting them. Someone should have said, Peter, now, this is not the best way for PR. He says, I can't tell you anything different. This is what God's put in my heart. And they loved it so much, the scripture says, they were so ticked off, look at it, they were so angry, they wanted to kill them. And they were thinking about killing them, one of their own had to say, hey, hey, time out. If we kill them, it's going to make it even worse. They're going to be martyrs, it's going to draw more attention, it's going to spread. And they talk about, remember when we did this and this, it was bad. And so they moved forward and they said, okay, fine, we won't kill them. But they flogged them. You ever been flogged? I've never been flogged. I looked up again this week to remind myself of what it means to be flogged, beaten within an inch of their life. It may be to our detriment if we kill you, we're going to get as close as we can and let a little bit of breath in your lung go back and tell everybody what a bad choice you made. And now look at their response. Look at verse 41. Look what happens. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing. These are real people. They were just beaten within an inch of their life and they're rejoicing. Persecution comes. How do they respond? They rejoice. I tell you what, that's a picture of us, isn't it? Isn't that us? We just get persecution and we rejoice. God help us. I think sometimes that's anything but us. What is the great persecution you face? Somebody making fun of you at school because they heard that you believe in Jesus. I'm not trying to make light of that. You have a family member who gives you the berries because you you live for Jesus. You've lost a job, heaven forbid, because you stood up for Christian principles. What is the persecution you face? And how do we respond? Oh, God, it's so unfair. This is so bad. Help me. Or we we think that there's persecution coming at us. I've invited them over to my house 14 times, and they have yet to invite me to their house. This is great persecution. We worried about it. They were beaten within an inch of their life, and they went rejoicing. Why? Because they counted a privilege to be considered to be worthy of taking suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Something had captivated them that they saw. And as we read on, we begin to see what happens Letter A, jot this down. When the persecution increased, they increased their praise to God. Things got harder, they praised louder. Things got more intense, their worship and praise of Jesus got more intense. There is a direct correlation between how tough things got and how much they praised God. They knew that there was power in praising God. Friend, this is good for us today. I like Grace Point. What's with the choir? They get kind of emotional. And some do this thing, and they just sing. And if Keith talks too loud and says the scripture, what, oh, what's the deal? Now hear me, hear me. I've shared this with you before, but i bears better share it again. I'm not talking about a personality type, okay? I'm not saying you have to be an extrovert if you're not an extrovert, or be an introvert if you're not an introvert. I'm just saying, friend, when things get tough, let the praise of God get out on you. Now you do it however God has wired you. But when we gather together like this, When we have walked through things throughout the week together, it is good to lift up the name of Jesus. Don't lift up the name of Edgar or Brady or Keith or anyone else. That's pointless. But lift up the name of Jesus. Don't do it like someone else does. Do it the way God has wired you. In fact, be more focused in on what it is you are lifting your praise and how you're lifting your praise than other things around you. That's what's taking place. And so they go back. Look at verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped. Never stopped. I did a word study here expecting to find some secret thing here, and it means never stopped. All the time. Never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The persecution did not stop the church. It only fueled the fire of the Holy Spirit. So, So what does this mean for us? When things get tough, friend, let your praise to God increase. Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. Is that a truth for you? Is praise coming out from you? And maybe another takeaway is this. Sometimes when things get tough, some of us tend to retreat more. Now hear me again. I'm not talking about a particular personality type. Some of you are super extroverted. You'd be like my wife. And you just love being around people so much. It gives you so much energy. Listen, listen. I love being around you, but i got to go take a nap so I can have more of you. I love you, but i, I just got to have some alone time. When things get really rough and tough, I'm going to go get on the bicycle, and I'm going to go ride. I may need to ride for 40 miles by myself. And I get charged up, and then I, I love being with people, but i, I got to get re-energized. It's not about a personality type, but the question is, hey, when things get tough, do you isolate yourself, wall yourself away from people? A lot of us do this, regardless of what personality type you are. the message here is stay connected to the body of believers. And don't just get with them when things get tough. Oh, I just want to gather with you and tell you how bad it is and rehearse the hurt. Talk about how good Jesus is. And this leads us to believe it wasn't just meeting with other believers. They were going and preaching the good news. Find someone who you can serve. When things are hard, when they're tough, don't stay alone. Go get with believers and talk about Jesus. Go get with non-believers and talk about Jesus all the time. The harder it is, the more intense your praise should be. The more intentional your connection with others should be about talking about Jesus. If this is hard for you, let me help you. Let me give you a question. It's my favorite question in the world. At my funeral, I want this question asked of every single person. What has Jesus taught you today? I don't care what He taught you yesterday. That's not true. I kind of care. But I don't want to talk about what He taught you yesterday. What did Jesus teach you today? It implies, it tells us that he has something new for you to know today. He wants to teach you something today. Talk about what Jesus is doing in your heart. And there is power when he refocuses us. Uh, A final attack I want us to look at before we go today. (coughs) It's found in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. 1 through 7, rather. And this attack is internal as well. It's not from in one person, but it's within their camp. It's this internal dissension. There's this conflict that's taking place. Let me summarize the first seven verses. As the disciples were increasing, there was a conflict that came about. There was some criticism that came to the apostles. One group of the widows was not being fed the same amount of food that the other group of widows was being fed. And so it was brought to the apostles' attention, and and then they say something like this, Well it wouldn't be good for us to neglect the ministry of the word and prayer to wait on tables. So let's appoint seven people to take this leadership role and they appoint these seven, they anoint them. they pray for them and, and they, they meet the needs of the widows and, and then they had more join their number in great succession day after day. So so what again does this have to do with us, Brady, what's happening here? Well let's check this out. The complaint that was given, it wasn't really justified. Nowhere do we see any evidence that Peter and the apostles are going, we don't really like those widows, we like these widows. Give them the good stuff, give them the leftovers. It was an unintentional oversight. They grew by 3,000 people in one day. The Lord added to their number daily. So this was an oversight that was unintentional. And friends, there was criticism about it. But, but the apostles, look at what they did. During this time, when this criticism that wasn't really just They clarified their critical role and responsibility. They didn't waste time trying to define or defend their innocent oversight. They reviewed in the time of conflict what God's call was on their life. Oh, this is good. what is it that was absolutely critical for them to do? And that's what they had to focus in on. It wasn't absolutely critical that everybody would like them. It wasn't absolutely critical that everybody would approve of everything they did. It wasn't absolutely critical that they would do everything themselves. It wasn't absolutely critical that they would get credit for everything themselves. But it was critical, as they sought the Lord, that they would give first priority to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. The apostles clarified their critical role and responsibility. This is a great an excellent example of of seeing things that are good get in the way of things that are great. Some of us here, when we find that we're in a a tough time and there's some conflict or some criticism, we have a hard time saying no. And we need to ask God... Do you want me to do this? What is it you want me to do, God? What is it that you want on my plate? There's a lot of good things that I can be doing. It's good to give to the widow. It's good to provide for them. In fact, it was necessary, but it wasn't for the apostle to do at that time. And so they had to say, God, would you clarify? What is the greater thing that you are calling me to do? This is not saying it was beneath them. No. The bigger they grew, the more the dependent they were on one another. How they desperately needed each other. So well, that's what was happening for them, but it led to something else. The apostles now identify the need for more leaders to serve the church. There's this criticism that was unjust, but they didn't ignore it. They didn't deny that there was a real need. They identified leaders. They equipped them. It wasn't dumping their responsibility. It was quite the opposite. It was passing on how important each member of the body was. And the third thing we see the disciples, the apostles doing is... With the church growing, there was a constant change taking place. Up to this point, it appears that the, the apostles were the ones distributing the food, and, and with this change, I could just hear some of the early church followers. But wait, wait a minute. We've always done it this way. Always. This is Peter, remember this is how we've done it. We always have done it. You give the food to the widows, and we've always done it this way. I need you to know that I kind of like doing it that way. I can maybe even hear a few widows. I kind of I like receiving my food from that apostle. I, kinda got, I, I was used to that apostle. And now you've got these, these other seven guys are good, but, but, but come on. Hey, with growth required some change to take place. Okay, you're excited, Brady. I don't know why. What, what does this do? What, like, how, what, what about my life? I, I don't know that I'm feeding widows today. What, what does this mean in my life? Friend, expect as you move in the powerful things of God that there will be complaints against you that are unjust. This is a direct application for us. As you get radically obedient for God, there will be complaints, there will be issues, there will be conflicts, even within those that you call dear friends, and they won't always seem just. Just expect that they'll take place. Don't let it throw you, oh my goodness, I have just surrendered all this to God, and it was a tough thing. Hey, Hey, God will provide. But there will be tough things. And he's going to bring glory to himself in those tough things. And some of the the criticisms, some of the conflicts will seem unjust. Let's look at another one. In the conflict, seek clarity of your God-given priorities and responsibilities. Oh, this is so good. When there's a conflict with your brother or sister in the faith, don't start building up your ammunition. Over Christmas... We played the game Risk. I love the game Risk. I take over Australia and dominate the world. It's a great thing. And now, I can't play Risk because I'm telling you my strategy, but don't tell my family. This is what I do I dominate Australia and I dump all of the troops right there and I just wipe the whole board clean. It's a beautiful thing. But when, when you're playing Risk and you build up your, your team to, to attack, this is not helpful when unjust criticism comes within the body. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stockpile my ammunition. And they said this, and she said this, and I have the right to do this. No, 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 no. Clarify, God, what's important? What, what's the most important thing you want me to do right now? Friend, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a rare day that He tells you to defend yourself. It's going to be a clear day when He says, Let me be your defender. But let me tell you what your purpose is. And when you are moving to what God has clearly said, this is for you to do in the middle of this family conflict, in middle, for you to do in the middle of this, this crisis at work, for you to do in the middle of a conflict at church, when He clarifies what you're to be about, there's power there. And finally, the last thought is this, to experience growth in your life personally, in your family, in our church, change is often required. And our dependence upon one another only increases with growth. It's, it's an interesting thing. When God does something in our midst, there is often a greater dependency on one another. And so when we surrender everything to God, we find out that I need my brothers and sisters in Jesus more than I ever thought. When we grow and we're reaching others for Jesus, I'm going to need you more than I've ever needed you. And you'll need more, me more than you've ever needed me. And there is some great hope in the aspect that God does some things in the aspect of change. I want to thank you for your great attention to God's Word today. And as we pray, I want to remind you that I'm inviting you in. That This is just like the uh, hors d'oeuvres. This is just like the whetting the appetite of what God has for you this week. It's good, and there's some meat here. But, oh, it's so much better. Don't miss the full course meal this afternoon that God has laid out before you. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends today and their strong attention to your word. Lord, I want to bless them now and thank them for how serious they take your Word. Lord, would you remind them today that your Word is living and active. It's not just a history lesson. While you're describing to us what the early church experienced, you're also prescribing to us what it is you're still doing day after day. Lord, would you... Would you let us know that when the honeymoon wears off of a spiritual high like we had last week, or when we surrender things like my brother testified to today, and we are praising you for how good things are, God, when things get tough, would you remind us that we should expect attacks that come from within? Satan, while he was not victorious in keeping Jesus in the grave, he shifts his attack to try to defeat us inside of ourselves. One of his favorite attacks, Lord, as you know, is to get us to think that we are better off than we are. To lie to ourselves, to lie to others, to lie to you about what is really happening in our hearts spiritually. God, would you remind us that we need to just be real. There's no advantage to not being real. It leads to a death of some sort. God, would you remind us that we should expect attacks that come from outside all around us. And God is... As the pressure, as the toughness increases, would you challenge us to lift up our voice and praise and and increase the amount of praise we give to you? And Father, when we we see dissension or conflict in our family, in a circle of brothers or sisters in Christ or in the church or whatever it may be, would you call us to look to you first to clarify what it is you want us to do? with what Satan wanted to drive a wedge and bring division and destruction and defeat. God, would you flip it upside down? And would you mend our hearts even closer together? And as we read in Acts chapter 6, they were anointing those who could do ministry, and you added more and more to their number that day. You kept the apostles from trying to make it about them. You kept others from trying to make it about we've always done it another way. And, And Lord, you met the need. God, when we face conflict, even this week, would you remind us of what that could look like for us? Thank you, Jesus, for the head start you gave us on the great teaching you're going to do in our hearts this week. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen and amen. As you take off today, I want to challenge you, like, seriously, think of some time. Like, I guess if you need to do it tomorrow, that's fine. But like, I don't know, you got a lot of hours left in... I'm told by some of you that like there's snow and stuff, so you're not going to want to drive anywhere this afternoon. Just get God's Word and read through it. And then drive. Come back tonight. You can muscle through the snow. And we'll hear how you can give God's Word to others around you. But take some time today, take some time this week, to, to walk through Acts chapter 5 and the first part of 6. God bless you. You're dismissed.